0: No checklist completed is going to save you. No bucket list is going to save you. No amount of blood, sweat, and tears that you've poured out in your life is going to save you. No amount of cash or worldly possessions is going to save you. You can't take it with you. You'll be dead. Buddha can't save you. Gandhi can't enlighten you. The Pope can't absolve your sins. The saints can't pray you into eternal life. Muhammad can't fix you. Allah isn't able. No president, no legislation, no Supreme Court justice, no state or nation or leader or celebrity. No one can save you because there is salvation in no one else. That's right, everybody. There is salvation in nobody but Jesus Christ, our Lord, welcome to another quick episode of the Bearded Bible Thinker. My family's going to show up here anytime, so I have to uh, actually make this quick. Um, I wanted to uh, do this because uh, just kind of as something fun, because we all think that we know the Christmas story. We've heard it our entire lives, especially if you've grown up in church. And I'm I'm not talking about... um, up on the housetop, uh, dot, dot, uh, right, or Santa Claus is coming. Uh, we're not talking about that garbage. We're talking about the actual Christmas story, uh, Jesus being born, the word becoming flesh. We all think we know this story pretty well, but I'm, uh, going to take this opportunity to work through a, a short article, um, that was written by Michael Kruger. And if you don't know who that is, uh, he is a Bible scholar. He's specifically uh, a, a canon scholar. And the canon, if you don't know what that is, the canon of Scripture is just the the writings of Scripture. It's the collection of the Scriptures. So when we talk about the uh, New Testament canon, we're talking about the books that are part of the New Testament, or the Old Testament canon, we're talking about the Tanakh, the, the uh, Old Testament as we know it, the books and writings of the Old Testament. Um, so that's what the canon is. So Michael Kruger, for example, would be a great Um, uh, uh, resource for things like uh, manuscript data or um, uh, uh, talking about why certain books were selected for the scriptures. He's an excellent resource for those things. Look him up on YouTube. He's got a lot of great lectures. Uh, We're going to be on his uh, website, his blog, um, here uh, in just a few minutes, so you'll see some of that. He's got a lot of books that he's written on the subject. Very, very helpful. Uh, resource uh, this uh, i I was recently at um, my uh, in-law's uh, place and uh, my wife's side of the family, and we were talking about, uh, we were uh, celebrating Christmas together. This was just the past weekend, and um, we were talking briefly about this uh, uh, this article specifically because I posted it on the Bearded Bible Thinker Facebook page and then had a sister-in-law that was kind of like, wait, what <laughs> um, about it? So uh, I just thought it might be worth a while. You know, something light, we're headed into Christmas here in a day or two, and uh, something for you to take a look at and... Uh, you know, maybe be blessed by, or learn some things you didn't know. Um, so I, actually it's funny, my father-in-law said, uh, talked about how he was so disillusioned by, uh, uh hearing about these things. He was obviously teasing, but, um, uh, it, it is, it's amazing how, uh, how much of our Christmas story, how much of what we ha- have heard is really, uh, merely tradition. Um, and, and I would encourage, uh, If you're a pastor or someone who preaches through this time of year and you're preaching from uh, the uh, about the Christmas story in any regard, which a lot of people do, Um, uh, it's actually pretty important to uh, know (laughs) not just the traditional Christmas story and the facts of the matter, but to know actually what happened and what that actually looked like. So hopefully this will be a blessing to you. We're going to swap over uh, in just a second to the screen view and uh, work through this article. But before we do that... Hey everybody, just wanted to take a minute and remind you to check out another couple of podcasts that we have going on. Uh, The Babbling Pastors podcast drops a new episode every Wednesday morning, and in that podcast I chat with my longtime pal, the Honest Youth Pastor, uh, and we chat about theology and ministry. It's a lot of fun and uh, probably more entertaining than this. Uh, You can also check out our Preaching at Hillside podcast, uh, and that's found on various platforms and and expanding all the time. uh, uh, That's published uh, by Monday of each week and is just what it sounds like. It's uh, we're, we're really creative around here. It's just our preaching ministry at Hillside Baptist Church here in Dickinson, North Dakota. Uh, also, every Wednesday, check out the Herbie Ray podcast, hosted by my lovely bride, Donna, with various special guests. Uh, she talks about motherhood, wifery, homeschooling, and all sorts of other things from a Reformed biblical perspective. So, rinse all the mud out of your ears and give those things a listen. Okay, so here we are. This is um, the article that we're going to work through today, just really briefly. Uh, Cannon Fodder is the name of his uh, uh, website, and If you you go to this uh, website, he's got a lot of really helpful things here. So that's Michael Kruger. That's, I assume, a picture of him or a video of him lecturing there. Um, Very, very, very smart when it comes to canon. He's so helpful, and he's uh, he speaks uh, about things in in such elementary and understandable ways, like things that should be impossible for you to grasp. Uh, but he breaks things down. He's very helpful. So I would recommend um, anything that you can get a hold of from from him is going to be really really helpful. So. Here though is his. I would assume his latest article. I think I saw it actually as we were scrolling through the main page there. Uh, on December eleventh, twenty twenty-three. He posted it. Uh, the title of the article is "Think You Know the Story of or Think You Know the Christmas Story?" Um, and and he said here are five common misconceptions. So uh, we're just going to jump through this quickly, and I've I've got other stuff to do. So this is going to be a fairly short one, uh, for real. He gives us a bit of an introduction, um, and, uh, and, but then he jumps into these five things that we think we know about the Christmas story that, that actually uh, aren't necessarily true. So here's the first one. There was a star the night Jesus was born. Um, he, he says this, it's it's difficult to find a nativity scene or a Christmas play. And I would argue, um, uh, uh, you know, this is one of the reasons we put a star on top of the tree, that kind of thing. Um, he says, it's difficult to find a nativity scene or Christmas play without a star over the manger. Indeed, this might be the quintessential symbol of the birth of Christ uh, or the birth of Jesus. Uh, the problem is there's no... Indication the star hovered over the manger on the night Jesus was born. On the contrary, when the angels announced the birth of Jesus to the shepherds watching their flocks by night, Luke 2 8 through 11, they were told to look for, uh, they weren't told to look for a star. They were told to look for something else. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Um, So, uh, the star uh, was not so. This is this is the thing we typically associate the star with the wise men, the magi, right? Um, and but he says the star was given not to the shepherds but to the magi, uh, who appear to be visiting uh, Jesus at a later time period. So that's another thing. I don't, I don't remember if he talks about this or not. But well, no, it's, still, it's in this actual paragraph. But the wise men or the magi, the the um, these three kings, right? Uh, um, they are uh, actually coming after Christ has been born, and uh, based on Herod killing every every child under two years old, um, like Jesus is probably um, a, a year to two years old here. He's He's toddler ish. Uh, he's he's going through the terrible twos, but as a sinless Christ. So uh, I don't know what that would be like. That'll be an interesting conversation someday <laughs> in uh, in heaven, but, um, uh, so the star, uh, given to the Magi, uh, he says, how much later is, uh, how much later is unclear, but the, in fact, Herod commands all the babies in the region younger than two years old to be killed. So that suggests Jesus, uh, may have been in Bethlehem for some time. Uh, Okay. So here's the, here's the next one. The three wise men. We three kings. We even have a Christmas song that we probably even sing in church or in children's Christmas plays or whatever they are. Right. Um, We three kings of Orient are. uh, So there weren't. Necessarily three. The Bible never says that there were three. We get the fact that there were three, uh, from, or the, this uh, idea that there were three from the amount of gifts that were given, gold and frankincense and myrrh. But the Bible actually never says that there were three. It just says that there were magi, that there were these wise men, that there were kings, whatever. Um, I guess we actually don't know that they were kings either, but uh, magi from the east. Uh, So he says, uh, speaking of the wise men in both art and song, uh, we get the undeniable impression there were three of them. Uh, The problem, however, is that this number is found nowhere in the biblical accounts. Matthew simply tells us, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. And that's that's all it is. So uh, that that's all we have. So the the idea of three wise men just comes from the um, the the um, uh, it just comes from the the amount of gifts that that were given: gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And uh, these are. Uh, I mean, there could have been 30 wise men, and gold and frankincense and myrrh could have been in pouches in all of their camels. Like, we just, we just don't know. It doesn't talk about it. So uh, while the tradition is, is fine, it's okay to have that tradition, uh, we do need to know that it's really just uh, uh, conjecture uh, uh, some of those things. Here's, here's one that I think is, is just massive, a massive misconception. Um, I remember, uh, Mark Lowry is a, a Christian comedian, uh, from a long time ago. Um, Mark Lowry, uh, had this bit where he was talking about Mary, uh, but this is kind of his lead up to Mary. Did you know, uh, I think he actually wrote that song, um, but anyway, this is his lead up to it, you know, his comedic lead up to it. And so he, he's talking about going back and forth, marrying conversations with Jesus when he was young and whatever, uh, and, and speculative, obviously conversations when he was young and, uh, something along the lines of him wondering, uh, uh if if Mary ever had to go into Jesus room and say what what what's going on here were you born in a barn and then everyone laughs right but there's this misconception that Jesus was born in a barn right that Jesus was born in a manger and that a manger means barn and there was no room for them in the inn which we we think of you know like the the Sheraton or the Holiday Inn or the local Uh, the the local place to rent rooms that's actually not what the text says at all that's that's not it wasn't an inn and the manger was different than you think Uh, it wasn't an inn and the manger wasn't a barn Uh, and that's that's probably the biggest like what Uh, because all of the nativity scenes in in the whole world have this picture of like a stable like a, a barn kind of situation Um, But it it just, it wasn't like that. So he says this, uh, Another staple of modern nativity plays is the scene at the inn. Uh, Joseph and his wife Mary, who is on the verge of giving birth, are cruelly turned away by the innkeeper, who shows them no compassion, right? Or there's just no room for it. Um, Then he says, Here's another popular misconception. The Bible never mentions an innkeeper. In fact, it's possible there was never an inn at all. And I would say it it doesn't make any sense that there would be an inn, given the uh, Middle Eastern kind of that culture uh, and that time, it wouldn't have been an inn at all. Um, Recent study by Stephen Carlson makes the case, uh, a compelling one, I think, says Kruger, uh, that the Greek word normally translated as inn in Luke 2, seven is best translated as place to stay. Uh, so the passage isn't saying there was no room in the inn, but rather there was no room for baby Jesus in the place they stayed. In what place were they staying? Carlson argues it was probably in the home of Joseph's family in Bethlehem perhaps in an adjacent guest room, which would have been small. So this is, uh, this is uh, important uh, because uh, um, you, even most of your Bible translations are going to say in in uh, Luke 2, 7. I actually was pleasantly surprised when I looked this up in the in the LSB. The Legacy Standard Bible translates it and says this, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the guest room. I, I like that a lot. It, it makes more uh, cultural sense. Um, it's actually a better translation uh, because uh, the—, the the word used there, it, it's actually a picture of uh, a guest room in a house where people would come and it's just like a guest room now. If you have an extra bedroom and it's a place for a family to come stay if they're there or whatever. Um uh, so that's actually the idea. It wasn't it wasn't a, a barn. <laughs> um uh, and and they weren't turned away at an inn. So let's get into the barn part. This is number four says, Jesus was born in a barn or stable. That's the fourth misconception. Uh, says, since Joseph could find no spot in the inn, the reasoning goes he must have been forced to stay in the stable. Indeed, every nativity scene ever created places Jesus in a barn of sorts. But the text doesn't say he was born in a barn. It only says Mary laid him in a manger. Okay, so this is the... the uh, here's the thing. Um, at the time, uh, a manger, what we have to understand is what a manger was. Um, and it, it was certainly a place where, um, uh, critters would stay, but it was actually a place, um, in most places it was inside the house. It would have been inside the place where the family lived, not, not the guest room, but inside the, the, the main house. Um, uh, a lot of people would like bring their goat or couple of donkeys or whatever they had. They would bring those fo- uh, those folks uh, or those creatures into the house if, at, at nighttime, um, especially if they're like in town like in Bethlehem. Right. In a town situation, there's not it's not like they're grazing out in the field. Uh, so these folks would bring them into the house, and there's a place deliberately uh, uh, set aside in the main house for those creatures, those animals, and that is what a manger is. So uh, let's see what he has to say here, though. Uh, So second paragraph, he says, but the text doesn't say he was born in a barn. It only says Mary laid him in a manger, Luke 2, 7, which is what I just read a minute ago. Uh, he says, although that might seem to suggest a barn, it was common for mangers to be kept in the main room of village houses during this time period. Why? Because the animals were often housed just a few feet away in an adjacent room. It seems likely then that Mary gave birth to Jesus while they were staying at the home of Joseph's relatives in Bethlehem, but the room in which they stayed, likely a tight guest room or hastily added chamber, couldn't accommodate a birth so Mary had to give birth in the larger family room and lay Jesus in the nearby manger so um, the last one I don't I don't even know if we'll talk much about that because that's that's it's actually a lot of people know that that's a misconception at this point but um but this this one i think is probably the biggest the inn and the manger bit right that the the hotel and the barn neither of those things uh were were um uh, were what happened um, and it's not, now what I'm not saying, like, don't go change your plays or whatever. It's fine that we have our traditions, but we do need to know the real story. We do need to know what actually happened. Um, and, and probably since that's what actually happened, we should begin to focus things in that way. Um, so, uh, I, I, don't know if this has been helpful at all. Uh, I know it's been short thus far. I'm not even 20 minutes in like this is, maybe this is a record of some sort. I'll have to look, but, um, uh, Jesus uh, there was no hotel and there was no barn and there was no star and we don't know the number of the wise men and if you read the rest of this article we uh, Jesus boy, being born on December 25th we don't we don't know when Jesus was born so um Anyway, I, I don't know if this has been helpful. I hope that it has. I hope it's been a fun little listen. And, uh, but, but you know what? Get back to your family. Spend time with your family. Open those presents. Watch other people open their presents. Eat a lot and then diet in a week. All right. I'll talk to you guys later. Blessings.